The ESG Decoded podcast celebrates Women's History Month and recognizes the contributions and achievements made by women. Kleinco, which powers this podcast, believes that supporting Women's History Month and International Women's Day aligns with its core values, particularly that of stewardship. Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, DEI, is integral to our culture, encouraging all employees to use their unique perspectives, experiences, and ideas to help advance business outcomes and foster a culture where everyone feels their viewpoint is valued. We embrace equity for women and endeavor to provide a platform to share best practices on how we can all contribute to gender equity. Enjoy this episode. Welcome back to ESG Decoded. I'm Amanda Shea, your host for today. March is Women's History Month, and we want to highlight and celebrate female leaders. We have a very special episode today featuring three female board members. We'll learn about their career paths to the boardroom and their advice for other women aspiring to do the same. Let me introduce the three board members really quick, and then we'll get into the podcast. Um, first of all, there's Mary Riccadello, there's Kay McCall, and Alejandra Veltman. Ladies, would you mind sharing your career path to the boardroom and why you decided to choose this path? Mary, may I ask you to start first? Sure, Amanda, thanks. Um, my career path is not one that I would say is traditional, at, at least at this point in time. I started in the boardroom in 2003. And uh, my career, I was working full time and I had um, responsibilities as chief accounting officer and a senior VP at my company for about 20 years. And my position there was a little unusual in that I not only had the accounting organization, I also had the tax organization, internal audit, risk, corporate services, and executive benefits. My educational background, I had a, I have an MBA in finance, but I also got my CPA um, and took that exam and passed it, all that kind of fun stuff. I never really planned to be in the boardroom. It wasn't part of my thought process. But as all of you can uh, probably recall in 2002, there was a lot of corporate failures, a lot of fraud being found. And Sarbanes-Oxley, uh, known as SOX to most these days, became uh, law. And that regulation really opened up opportunities for me. Um, it was no coincidence that because of my background and because of the requirements now that I was starting to get inquiries from people saying, would you be interested in board service? And as I said, I really hadn't thought about doing that. And then I thought, okay, my experience in the boardroom has always been as part of me. And what would I have liked to have heard the board ask questions about? Because I went through some pretty... Um, stressful times with an internal investigation and things like that. I think it helped really prepare me to become a better board member. But going back to SOX and uh, New York Stock Exchange requirements, I met all the um, requirements. You know, I was considered a financial expert. I uh, had management experience over accounting and finance organizations. I understood audit and internal audit. And so I was being pursued more because of that 
and because I was independent, because that was one of the new requirements. And if you recall back 20 years ago, a lot of boards were populated with friends of the CEO, um, colleagues of the CEO, and they may have served on each other's boards, which all precluded them from being considered independent. Uh, no big surprise that there were not a lot of women, very few at the time. I think the number was maybe 10% of women were um, you know, made up the boardroom. So I started really being pursued more because of my technical, if you will, background as opposed to being a female. Did not hurt, I will tell you that. And I make no apologies for it. Um, but that was my first entree into the boardroom. And interestingly enough, it was a colleague of mine who said, "Are you? would you be interested in serving in this capacity? And he was an advocate for me and put me forward, forward with the board and said, I think she meets all the criteria. She works well with others, et cetera, et cetera. And that was my first board, which was U.S. Concrete. Now, I will tell you one of the toughest things uh, for anyone pursuing a board position is getting that first board. And because it puts you on the radar and that put me on the radar. And as time went on, there was more and more demand for diversity on the board. So not only did I now have board experience, but I also had, you know, the fact that I was female, they were looking for more diversity on the board. So it really, I guess, in looking back, I think I've served on a total of eight boards um, over my 20 years. On six of them, I served as the audit chair. That was the real attraction. <laughs> and uh, no one really wanted to do that. Am I that either? You know, I would be asked questions about why are you interested in the board work, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the questions I would say for anyone that's looking into board work is why are they interested in you? You know, they say, well, why are you interested in this company? Well, why are you interested in me is as important of a question as the other. And I say that because when I've asked that question, I've had CEOs answer it with, we want a woman's perspective on the board. And I respect that. That's honest. But I also had a CEO say, well, we want diversity. If that's the only reason you're being asked to sit on a board, to me, it's not a good reason. It's not, and not surprisingly, I didn't pursue that uh, board seat. I don't want to be someone who just checks the box. And that goes to your question of why do you serve on boards? I serve on boards because I think my experience offer, offers value. Um, I have done international work. I've done investigations, both as a member of management and member of the board. Um, you know, I've sat there and thought about the questions. What would I like the board to ask? Well, I know now, you know, I can ask those questions. And so I feel like I have been able to add value and add a perspective um, that others on the board may not have been able to do. That's kind of a quick summary. Thank you, Mary. And we'll definitely dig into a little bit more about kind of finding that good fit in a little bit. But let's hear from Kay next about your career path, Kay. Uh, thanks, Amanda, and thank you for having me. Well, I started my career as a trial lawyer and uh, did that 
for a number of years, decided I preferred to, to work in a different environment and went in-house as general counsel for a client. Did that for a number of years, working in the engineering and construction business, domestic and international. Left that after about, I don't know, seven or eight years. I was then at Enron, so Mary can thank me for her board service. For a few years, working more on the power side, I'd been in the oil and gas services. Went from Enron to General Electric, was there for six years, still acting in the capacity as a lawyer, primarily in international context, both the power and the oil and gas side. And then after about six years there, went to early stage wind energy company out of state, which was in the midst of an IPO process and went as their general counsel. But timing is everything. And that's, I think all of us would say that on boards in particular, that particular move was made in 2008. So for those of us who were working in 2008, we remember what happened in the capital markets. And that meant that the IPO got canceled. We, I was in a company that was backed by uh, JP Morgan and the Canadian Pension Fund. So we had uh, good money behind us. It just wasn't going to work long term. So the company was restructured. There was a change in control. And with the change in control, I was promoted from general counsel to CEO. I served as the CEO for eight years until we sold the business. After we sold the business, I gave myself a year off, which I'd never had. I've always been a working mother and for the most part, a single working mother. And at that point, I gave some thought to what I wanted to do. And people have always told me, well, you're a female CEO. You won't have any trouble finding boards. And in fact, a month after the company was sold, I got contacted by uh, somebody looking for a board member, but um, that one didn't pan out. Anyway, I set the intention of wanting to do board work, and it took a couple of years to get that first one. And then, as as Mary said, it's kind of a, it's almost a mysterious thing how it works. You you get one, and then you've got. I have three paying boards in addition to other kind of roles that I'm on, and I'm still entertaining another board and some other opportunities, but I'm now in the, where I'm starting to refer opportunities that might be a better fit for somebody else to someone else. I never would have thought at 40 even to say, oh, someday I'm going to grow up and be a board member. That was never anything that I ever took any intention to, which I would not recommend not putting attention to it. But uh, I was always heads down trying to do the best I could and taking care of, you know, taking care of my kids and, and never really uh, planning a strategy. And I think that in hindsight, not having a strategy was not the best strategy. From the boards that I sit on now, it's really the experience that, that people are interested in. What, it, what have you done? You know, where do you have exposure? Like I had a conversation about a really interesting board recently, and they have very much, very well segmented how they want different board members to slot in. And, you know, sometimes it's geographic. I mean, I, I sit on a public European board. They definitely wanted a North American on the board. I sit on a private equity back board. They definitely wanted a woman on the board. And then I sit on the startup board and they wanted somebody with industry experience. 
So each each is very different. It's a very mysterious thing. It's not like a job process as far as I'm concerned. It's much more mystical than that. Somewhere along the way, you know, hopefully some magic fairy dust gets sprinkled on you in the process and you and you end up with something. And that's a bit how I feel how it happens to me. Thank you, Kay. Allie, would you mind sharing your career path to the boardroom? Oh, absolutely. Thank you, Amanda. Very similar to uh, to Mary, I started in accounting. I'm a CPA and um, had a career in primarily audit at the beginning for about 10 years. I was an auditor and then I, I did uh, CFO work for small, uh, medium-sized companies, private companies. And then I switched to corporate work um, in the energy sector, did uh, oil and gas services. And, um, and while I switched back, I uh, my last position, I was uh, vice president and chief accounting officer. And uh, the last company that I served was acquired and, um, you know, gave me the opportunity to to really take some time off and uh, took about six months off and uh, decided to pursue more studies. And that's when I learned about sustainability. I became really passionate about it. And um, and it was a very different view of what I was used to in business. Um, I think, you know, our focus was always, always on uh, shareholder returns, profitability. It was, to me, it was an undue focus from my perspective on EBITDA. And I think this looking at sustainability, really like how you create value for shareholders in the long term, gave me that new perspective. So um, while I was there, I, you know, kind of in the back of my mind was always, uh, you know, what to do next. I always admire a lot of the board members on the companies that I worked as a, as an executive. And, uh, and, and it was just something that I had in my mind, maybe at some point I would consider. So like I said, when I went back and, and did some advanced studies, one of my mentors suggested I did the uh, Harvard Women on Boards program. And, that's when I learned more about board service. And then I just began networking after that. And because um, that was the one thing that, that people advised for me to do. And when I was at the, uh, I joined the National Association of Corporate Directors, NACD, and someone there talked to me about an opportunity that needed an audit chair for the board. And because I was uh, you know, quali- a qualified financial expert and had the experience with audit, um, that was kind of how I got my first board. And so really, when I think about why I did that and why I, I do that, to me, it's about purpose. And it's about continuing to contribute um, my experience to add value to different shareholders. And it felt like a, a natural career progression. Also, I love being around accomplished professionals. You get to meet some super interested people. And, um, and it kind of goes beyond the boardroom. Um, there are other opportunities that I've become aware because of it to just kind of really serve the world because there are some of the board members I've met are retired. And so there are some really wonderful things that these uh, board members are doing for the world. Nice. Thank you. I'd like to ask the group, what advice do you have for other women pursuing board work? And Kay, maybe we can start with you this time. Well, I would say Uh, You know, again, I didn't have a great strategy going in, but when I look back on it, you know, truly building a brand that is focused on excellence in whatever you're doing is extremely important. Um, 
you know, just you you need that reputation. You have to be solid because, as Ali was mentioning, when you get on a board, it's you're around some pretty impressive people. It's a very substantive crowd. I think anytime you get exposure to what is going on with boards and what boards do is extremely helpful. There is something that is known as board presence, which you know what it is when you see it, I would say. It's basically having confidence, what you know and what you can contribute, but also being able to listen to other people. And I think most really good board members are inherently curious people who are continuously learning about a, a variety of different topics. And so, you know, focusing on learning all along your career about a breadth of topics, not just whatever your particular function is, is ultimately very important. My advice also is know which women are on boards in particular, uh, because like I said, I'm, I'm now in a position where I'm referring board opportunities to other people because what tends to happen, it gets to be your turn and then you get these board spots and then there are others that you don't have time or don't fit in your interests. If there are four women, one woman gets four and then the, the water moves over to the next cup and fills up tends to be the way that it does it. I would say make sure when you're networking that you're networking broadly as women sometimes tend to talk to other women, and that's helpful, but there are an awful lot of men making decisions about who goes on boards. And so, at, you know, all of us telling each other how great we are and how important we are is, you know, nice, but make sure you're, whenever you have the opportunity to connect with people with influence, it's a good thing to do. I would also say have a solid LinkedIn background and presence because it is something that people look at. I hear people say minimize the role of recruiters in board seats. Two of my three board seats came through you know, the, the well-known executive search firms. I wouldn't discount establishing relationships with them, with particularly their people who focus on, on boards and maintaining that relationship over a number of years take the phone call whenever they call and establish credibility and a relationship with them. I think those will be my, my main points. Thank you. Allie, what would you add? I was thinking about networking. Let every single person you know that you are interested in serving on boards. Um, definitely don't discount anyone. And uh, prepare. I, I really think it's just preparation is good. I know that sometimes opportunities just kind of fall in people's laps. You know, for me, it's been preparation too. And the last one is just be patient. It's not like a regular job where, you know, the cycle is two months, three months for a, for a board role. It could be long. I mean, for me, I think it took me about two years, almost three years to get my first board role. And I think it's just, it's just having patience and it's different and then just kind of really balance it. Having something else while <laughs> you wait too, because it also adds to your to your background. And I guess I didn't mention that I um, also started a company, um, ESG Link, working on on sustainability reporting. And it was it was sort of like hand in hand, you know, being being an entrepreneur and looking for a board opportunity. So it's preparation and patience. 
Yeah, I would say my timing was about the same. It took me a solid two and a half years to get my first board. And then in six months, I had three. But it um, rains, it pours, it sounds like. <laughs> I'll tell you, it's mystical. And everybody said that, and I didn't believe it. But I think for me, my first one was a European private equity backed board, but a domestic company headquartered in Houston. My second one was a European public company. And I honestly believe that having kind of the European credentials made it easier on the second one. And then there you go. Mary, I'd love to hear a little bit from your perspective as well. And I, I would love if you could share more about what you were hinting at a little bit earlier about finding the right fit. Yeah. And I think this is a place to have that discussion. First thing I would say, listening to Kay and my experience about not having a real plan is that, and I've talked to younger women who are in their 30s and uh, early 40s who think that this is a career path they might like to pursue later on. And it's never too soon to start developing those experiences that can be used in the boardroom. And I think one of the things you want to look at is what are those topics, those hot topics, those issues. And, um, you know, Allie mentioned one with sustainability. That is something that uh, is only getting more complicated down the road. If you can develop an expertise in that area, that's great. If you, um, cyber is another one. If you have current experiences that are still, and that's something that changes daily. You know, pick a topic that interests you. Don't just pick anything because you're not going to be good at it if you're just doing it to check a box. But start preparing now with those experiences. That would be my first bit of advice. The other thing that I've shared with a lot of the young women and men who have asked about board services, stay relevant. And what I mean by that is not only staying up to date on what's happening in your particular industry, but globally. And how do you do that? Yeah, you can read and you can stay informed. But, um, you know, I'll get asked to speak on things. And I'm always like, oh, do I have to do a speech? I'll do a panel, but I don't want to do a speech. You know, they're easier. But it takes some of your personal time to do that. But I will tell you, one of the boards I sit on now, I got on that board because they heard me speaking. I was on a panel in Dallas and they had an opening come up and one of the uh, the non-gov uh, committee chair was there. Me, the person who had asked me to speak, he knew him and he said, you know, can you introduce me? And that's how I ended up on that board, you know, so don't underestimate the value of being out there, whether it's even doing a podcast or if it's doing, you know, uh, helping out with a conference or a seminar. Uh, you know, Alan mentioned NACD. That's a really great organization to get involved in and to meet people. Your point about finding the right fit, as I listen to everyone speaking, you know, when you get that interview, I've always told the people that I've talked with, you know, helping to prepare is I said, you've already met the qualifications. They wouldn't be talking to you if you weren't qualified. These are busy people. They don't have the time to just, you know, I'll take the interview because a friend asked me to, uh, you know, as Kay and Ellie both said, you're dealing with people who are on multiple boards. In some cases, they're 
sitting CEOs, and they don't have the luxury of just, um, you know, let me just go ahead and visit with someone. I know they're not the right person. So assume that you're qualified, and it really is about a fit, in my opinion, with the other members of the board. Is there a congenial relationship that you've established, like the board that I just recently um, went on? We did all of the calls through Zoom. It was a very easy, natural fit. We had things in common, work things and personal things in common. We could talk about some of the unpleasant experiences we had, as well as the successes that we had without feeling like, okay, I'm being judged. It's like, we understand this is part of the process. This is part of the experience, if you will. And so I think that is really important. And the reason I think congeniality and that comfort level is important is because once you're in the boardroom, if you don't, if you absolutely do not like the people you're working with, you're not going to respect them. You're not going to listen to them. You're going to just sort of like, oh, here he or she goes again. You know, you want people that have different opinions, but that you respect and say, you know, let me think about that. I hadn't given it that thought. And you may not change on an issue, but you'll at least be open to listening to others' opinions and others' experiences. That's important to me. I mean, if I'm going to spend hours and hours and hours with um, people in a conference room for a couple days every month, I want to come home and feel like that was worth my time and that was worth the effort that I put into preparing for the meeting. If you're pursuing a board opportunity or you think that's part of your career path, Make sure you understand what the role and responsibility of the board is. It's not management. And, you have, and most people have come into that boardroom with chief something or other before their name. And they're used to making those decisions and saying, this is how things ought to be done. You're not chief anything. You're a member of the board. And there is a line between management and board oversight. And you've got to be clear on that. And the last thing I would say is understand the risk associated with it. This is not the boardroom from 20, 25 years ago. This is, most people sitting on boards are very serious professionals and they take those responsibilities very seriously. And there are risks, you know, and that's why they have DNO insurance. And so, you know, you want to make sure that you understand uh, all of that. And again, I would say NACD is a good place to go to learn about those responsibilities, along with a lot of your major universities. They, like Allie mentioned, the Harvard program and Stanford has them, and there's a ton of them out there. Allie, I saw you nodding your head while Mary was speaking about some of this. Do you want to share your thoughts? Picking a, a, um, a, network that you feel comfortable with, you know, try different ones and see which ones you feel more comfortable because once you get into that really focused on preparation, then it could take a lot of your time. And, um, and so then all of a sudden you might find yourself having too many, uh, networking organizations. And so, you know, try them at first, but then just focus because you really want to 
want to get to know the people personally. When you develop those relationships, it's, it's really kind of when it happens for you. I just wanted to agree with everything that Allie and Mary said. But on that whole networking topic, my first board came as a direct result of going to a lunch, was just a general networking lunch with a person who brought another person along with him. And the person he brought with him told a recruiter about me. And I mean, I even barely talked to her, but she made the recommendation to the recruiter. The recruiter contacted me and ultimately I ended up with my first board position. So I would just add that you never know which contact is going to be that contact. And a lot of times it's the small lunches, it's the one-on-ones, it's the smaller group ones that can really bear fruit. So staying out there, not just among a hundred people sitting at a lunch at the Westin, but like just staying active and involved and meeting new people. Because if you're just seeing the same people over and over again, you're not expanding your network. Yeah, I would add to that that, uh, you know, networking is um, viewed as the a key to finding whether it's a job or whether it's a board position. But it's something, um, if you're the individual seeking help from someone, you really have to take the responsibility to follow up and and be respectful of that individual's time. I had, and I'll share an, some, an experience I had where a young woman contacted me and a friend had recommended she contact me. So I, of course I took the call and went to lunch or whatever it was. And it became a situation where she would call me and say, what have you done for me lately? Almost that blatant. You know, what I try to do when I'm trying to assist them is say, these are some things I think you should consider doing. And if that individual does those things and follows up, then I'm okay with having that next call, that next coffee and saying, all right, you've got an interview. Let's practice. What kind of things would you be asked? What kind of, um, if I know the people, I'll say, this is what this individual will focus on, things like that. You know, when someone hands me their business card, most of the time, I've got to be honest with you, they'll end up in the trash. I'm not into collecting cards. And I think that those that are handing them out really need to be um, disciplined and selective. And uh, as Kay said, this, this isn't 100 people at lunch, so I'm going to hand out 100 cards. That, I will tell you, will pretty much get you nowhere. I want to also ask about how you thought about building a portfolio board work. Well, I think one thing that sort of happens is you've got to be sure that you don't have conflict of interests, you know, so the portfolio to some extent is governed by that. You're not going to be, my um, boards tended to be in the industrial area and in energy. And so, you know, there are conflict issues that you had to be, and there are um, actual hard line issues where you would have to report things with the um, in the proxy if you had so much in revenue or what at sales, whatever the case might be. So in some respect, that um, kind of manages itself. And I would say, you know, I joke, I said, boy, if I had my choice of boards, I'd like to be on Estee Lauder or something like that. Well, my experience 
says, no, you're going to be doing energy. You'll do regulated or and or unregulated businesses. The one eco materials, which I'm on now, is in the home building, but it's kind of real estate, which I find interesting. So it's like, yeah, I'll do that. And then Perpetro, which is a oil field services board, there's no issues with conflicts there. Uh, the other thing that sort of impacts it is meeting dates. You'd be surprised how many times you have conflicts with meeting dates. And that sort of um, drives your portfolio, if you will, uh, too, where you'd say, I can't do that one, I have conflict. And then for me, not necessarily responsive, but I think you want to be sure you don't overboard because I was chairing three audit committees at the same time. That was plenty. I didn't want to do any more boards. I didn't feel like I could do them and give the time and effort that it took to chair three audit committees and do it properly. So again, something that sort of self-governs um, your portfolio, if you will. Okay, I'd love to hear from you as well, um, especially knowing that you serve on a variety of the companies that boards you serve are run the gamut. <laughs> How did you decide on this portfolio or come to it? Yeah, I wish I could say that I had this, again, this kind of grand scheme and then executed it to perfection. And that's what I ended up with, but that's not really true. And my first board, which I love being on, is a company called Flexitalic, which is headquartered here in Houston and makes gaskets for a variety of industries, including the petrochemical industry. And there was nothing about that that says that's the one for me. But I have a private equity background. I had a conversation with them and I had a sense for what they're, where they were and what they were trying to do and how I could perhaps help with it. I went in as a board member and within three months became chair of the board. They were looking for a woman, and I'm fine with that. I've never let anybody else's expectations define me. And I loved being on that board. And then the other two, frankly, the next two that came to me, and they happened to be very different and very suited for me. And now I consider my limit to be four. I don't chair an audit committee or anything like that, which is a lot of work. And so now I'm particular on that fourth one. And I look also at the dates. You have to look at that, and they're usually upfront about what the dates are. Some of them, like if you go on a private equity board, you can see this is something that's going to be two years or four years max. If you go on a public board, it can, you know, they'll, they'll tell you what the terms are. And so it's sort of matching up, well, this one's rolling off. I'll be rolling off of this one, and so I'll have another one. So getting a variety of terms. And for me, it's, is there something interesting about this opportunity? I have a lot of interests that so could be many different. I mean, I wasn't particularly interested in gaskets, but I love this board service on this particular board. And the role that I have on it has been very well suited for me. So I think it has to be interesting to you. You're not going to be good at it if you're not curious about something about that business. Like if you go on a public board, it's gonna be pretty easy to understand what the timing requirements are because they can tell you very easily. When you go on a startup board or private equity back board, those can be a whole gamut of types of commitments and, and exploring what's expected of you upfront is really important. You know, a point there too that Kay is making it one of the boards I joined, they were going to IPO. And the expectation is very different, private to public. Private, you're 
my experience was, and Kay, maybe you know this better than me, is you're much more involved in uh, what I would consider management type of decisions. And that sometimes is a hard transition for a board uh, to, because it's populated with a lot of private equity people to say, okay, no, that's, that is management's decision now. You're a public company. And I had, I said that more than once <laughs> in the boardroom. It's, you guys are way overstepping this. And um, that was difficult for them. So I think it is important to know the difference between the uh, types of boards and the expectations of those boards. Yes, I agree completely with what you're saying. And that's one of the things I think I liked on the private equity board is there was a consulting lane there. You're not a consultant on the public board, but depending on the needs of the company, you may have more of a consulting role and also a greater impact on the board's effectiveness because you bring this perspective of the role of the board and how it should really be functioning. I want to um, ask just one, uh, probably last question. I know we are getting close to time, but as we're talking about this and as boards are continuing to diversify, you know, someone seeking a board may find herself being their first and only female board member, potentially. How would you recommend or, you know, advise that person to make sure it is the right fit for her? You know, we, we talked about different things, right, today. Uh, talked about purpose, talking about the right fit. And, and while you may be in a situation where you're the only female, I think that as professionals, probably in the industries where we've been, we have been the only female many times by the time we get to the board. I think that is not really something that is as critical as it is purpose and it is fit. I don't think on the boards that I've served, I have not been the, the only female, but I would think that um, it wouldn't be any different. I agree with you. My whole career, it feels like I've either been many times the first and several times the only. And quite frankly, at this stage of my career, I feel like one of my highest and best uses is showing up and being there so that other women have the opportunity to see somebody in these roles and also to have the potential to influence people in the room. I've never asked. I'm sure when I was put on the board where I was the only female with an all-male leadership team, they didn't know what to expect. Now, like I said, three months later, I was chairing the board and I've had opportunities to make impact in the organization and perhaps beyond because of that. I'm ready to be the first and or the only. You know, I went back and I looked at the boards that I've served on and on six of the eight, I was the first and only female on the board. And I think both Kay and Allie have expressed this. I don't look at it as I'm a token because when I joined these boards, I made sure that the experience that I was bringing was relevant and that it would add value. I think one of the things we want to be sure not to generate the feeling that we have this chip on our shoulder that, oh, you know, I'm the only woman and uh, you guys need to, you know, listen to me and uh, don't be condescending to me and all of this kind of stuff. I think that goes whether you're a male or a female. But, um, you know, I think that uh, it shouldn't be an issue, you know, you, and you shouldn't, I think Kay made this comment too, make no apologies for being who you are. Uh, if you know you're qualified, you're there for a reason and not to feel like, oh, 
you know, I'm just a token. If you think you are, if that's why you're being recruited, and I know I've had a time or two where that was it, and I said, no, thank you. I'm not interested. So you know, don't don't give up who you are just to get that first board seat because you won't excel in it. And someone had mentioned earlier, your reputation will follow you. Thank you so much, everyone, for this really inspiring conversation, but also getting to some of just the into the weeds, the nitty gritty of, of how you pursue this. And I'm hoping it inspires um, other women who are interested in this and just clarifying what does it really mean? So thank you so much, everyone. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Amanda.